0: Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome one more time to Encounter Church. My name is Kyle, and if we haven't met yet, I have the privilege to serve as the youth director here, and I'm excited to kick off our brand new teaching series this morning called Weird. Now, here's why we've titled it Weird. Uh, It's because you and I, uh, we're not called to be normal. Uh, In fact, we've tried normal, normal is not working. Maybe we should give this weird thing a try. And throughout this series, we're gonna be taking a look at the New Testament book of 1 Peter. Um, And in this open letter to Jesus' followers scattered all throughout the world, he says that, hey, because of who you are, first and foremost, as citizens of heaven, the way that you live your life should be different. It should look weird. Uh, Your values should be different. Uh, Where you put your hope should be different. How we love one another should be different. And that's where we're going to go throughout this series. But today, we talk about what makes our faith weird. But first, let me tell you a story. It was February 2019 when I went on my very first global missions trip. About seven or eight of us packed our bags and we hopped on a plane and headed to Haiti to serve with uh, some missionary friends um, who lead an organization called God's Vision for Haiti. Now, God's Vision for Haiti serves the most vulnerable population in Haiti the orphans and uh, they do amazing things like foster care program they're actually building a brand new school so what they're doing is super super cool and God is using their mission in some amazing ways and so our assignment in going there was to lead a VBS a vacation Bible school for the kids in the community and so we're pumped as all get out right Um, We get to go see our friends, we get to experience a new culture, uh, we get to tell kids about Jesus, we get to be in tropical weather. Listen, this was February in Michigan, we hadn't seen the sun in weeks, so we were ready for the warm weather, right? So we hop on the plane, we fly down there, and we land in the capital city, Port-au-Prince, and uh, we get out of the airport and we start to drive through the city. And to say that it was a culture shock uh, is an understatement. Uh, we had never seen that level of poverty before. And so, as we're driving through Port au Prince, we're on our way to Lakai, which is where God's vision for Haiti is located. And so, as we're driving, our driver sees a crowd of people ahead. And so, he stops the car, he gets out, and he goes to see kind of what's going on. And he's gone for about 20 minutes, and then he comes back, and uh, he tells us that all of the roads leading out of the city have been blocked. And we can't get through. He didn't exactly tell us why. And so our friend Juska, who leads God's vision for Hades, he's he's in the car with us. And so they're talking about, like, what's going on. And finally, we determined that we weren't going to make it out of the city. And so we decided um, to get a hotel for the night. And we're thinking, you know, we're going to be here for seven days, one night in a hotel. That's fine. We'll wake up in the morning. Hopefully everything is clear. And we can head to our destination to do what we've come to do. And so one day turned into two two days turned into three and at this point we kind of knew that our situation wasn't good Uh, we would hear gunshots all throughout the day Um, there was a constant smell of cars burning and tires burning Uh, and at some time you would see this massive united nations truck drive by with like the biggest machine gun i have ever seen and sometimes you would see like tear gas pop up from the city streets meanwhile we are in the hotel, sipping coffee, watching Haitian music videos because we only got one channel. Like it was a very interesting scene, and we knew we we got a better grasp of what was actually happening around us when we read an online article. Um, the article shared that a group of missionaries, uh, just like us, were driving in Port-au-Prince, right where we were, uh, to get to the airport to go home. And they were stopped by a group of rioters. Uh, They were pulled from their van. They set the van on fire. And they held the missionaries for ransom. I said, please do not send that article to my wife. Because if I make it out of here alive, she's going to kill me when I get home. (laughs) And so after we finally decided that we're not going to make it to our destination. We're like, okay, well, we got to come up with a plan to get home. And I kid you not, this is how the meeting went. Mike, our leader, was like, well, we're not going to make it to our destination. We've got to make a run for the airport. He said, what time do you think a majority of the riders will be sleeping? Someone said, probably 4 a.m. Looked around the room, 4 a.m., 4 a.m. Okay, 4 a.m. it is. Set your alarm, pack your bags, we're taking off at 4 a.m. I'm looking at Mike, I'm like, listen, my life is on the line, and that's the best plan you've got, 4 a.m.? That whole day, I'm thinking to myself, how do I get through this? We'll come back to 4 a.m. You know, in our world today, there's a lot of things that divide us, right? Politics, religion, whether you think cats are a household pet, There's a ton of things that divide us, but perhaps what unite us, what unites us is the fact that no matter who you are, no matter where you are at in the world, what unites us is that we all experience setbacks. It's a guarantee. We all experience trials and difficulty and stress, and oftentimes in those moments, we're asking, how do I get through this? Maybe you are a new parent and this is a season of diapers and bottles and new outfits and rockers and bouncers. And you're like, kid, will you just keep the passy in your mouth? Speaking from experience on that one. Or maybe you're a a teacher and at the end of last school year, you were promised more resources, better resources. But now that you're starting the new school year, it's like those resources have vanished into thin air and they're nowhere to be found. And oh, by the way, you have more kids this year than last year. And you want to give those kids your best. They deserve the best. That's why you got into the profession in the first place. But your support is inconsistent at best. And you're asking, how do I get through this? You know, maybe recently you just lost a grandparent who was the glue in your family that held everyone together. And now that they're gone, you're not sure how the family is going to move forward. And you're asking, how do I get through this? As the apostle Peter writes his letter to the followers of Jesus scattered all throughout Asia Minor, this is the first question that he seeks to answer. Why? Because it's the question that they're asking. Here's why. First Peter is written somewhere between 60 and 65 AD during the reign of Nero. And Nero hated Christians. Uh, we don't actually know this for sure, but it's rumored that at the time for entertainment, Nero would put animal skins on Christians. He would lock them in a cage and he would release wild animals to destroy the Christians while he sipped his wine what he would do was unimaginable. It's also rumored at the time for uh, his dinner parties to light up the night sky. What he would do is he would take Christians, he would dip them in hot wax, he would tie their hands to a tree and he would set them on fire to light up the midnight sky as him and his friends had a party. You see, if you were a Christian during the reign of Nero, you didn't just have a target on your back. No, you had a target on every square inch of your body. And so as Peter sits down at the table to write this letter, he's seeing what they're seeing. He's hearing what they're hearing. And he thinks to himself, what do I write to these Christians who are looking at the evening news and asking, am I next? Listen to what he writes. He says this, verse six. So be truly glad. Really, Peter? Out of all of the words that come to mind, that's the word that you're going to pick? But wait, there's more. He says, there is wonderful joy ahead. Listen, if this is the line and this is normal, Peter is so far over here in the weird category, he's by the people who think soccer's a sport. Like, it's ridiculous. Peter, what are you talking about? That's weird. He goes on to say, even though you must endure many trials for a little while, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. Peter says, I know you've got many trials But I'm telling you, with Jesus, listen, not only can you endure these trials, but you can do so with joy. You can do so with gladness. Why? Because your trials have a purpose, and it's to reveal your faith is genuine. I need you to hear that this morning. If you're here or in the room at Fulton Heights and you're like, Kyle, I'm in the biggest trial and setback of my life, hear the words from your heavenly Father this morning. There's purpose in your trial. There's purpose in your pain. And that purpose from your heavenly father is not to just beat you up. That's not his goal. That's not his desire. Instead, his desire is to draw you close to him to reveal what? That your faith is genuine. There's purpose in your pain, in your trial. Now think about this. If there's such a thing as genuine faith, what might the opposite of that be? We might say that the opposite of genuine faith is false faith. So this morning, let me show you three different types of false faith. Number one, inherited faith, inherited faith. Someone with this kind of faith says, yeah, well, my mom was raised Methodist, my dad was raised Baptist, but we finally found a church that we could go to together. And you know, we went to church Uh, We went on Christmas and Easter, and maybe a few other Sundays in between, and we got baptized. And now the world are like, we go to church now; it's what we do. My grandparents went, my parents went. We we go to church, so obviously we're Christian. You know, I was speaking with a young adult the other day, and he said, "You know, now that I'm in college and out of the house, I mean, I'm starting to question everything. I'm not sure what I believe." What was he living off of? Inherited faith. Hadn't made it his own yet. And honestly, some of us in the room today, that's where we're at. We're living off of mom and dad's faith. It's weak. It's not gonna withstand the trials of life. Number one, inherited faith. Number two, shallow faith. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 13, he says, a planter went out and planted some seeds and one of the seeds took root and a little plant sprung up. But because the roots didn't grow deep enough, when the sun got hot, it, it choked out the plant because its roots were too shallow. Jesus said, some of you received the word of God and rejoiced, but because of the deceitfulness of wealth, because of the worries of life, because of the desire for more things came in, it choked out your faith because it was too shallow. Inherited faith, shallow faith. Number three, conditional faith. This is where you might say, God, if you will just get her to go out with me, (laughs) I promise I will give you my entire life. (laughs) But more seriously, this is where you say, God, As long as things are good, we're good. As long as they keep letting me sing on the worship team, as long as my bank account looks healthy, as long as my family is healthy, as long as those things are good, God, we're good. And I've lived long enough to know that life doesn't always go our way. And so when one of those things is ripped out beneath you, your faith can't stand because it's weak, because it was conditional. And you're asking, how do I get through this? Now, if we're honest with one another today and we examine our hearts and we examine our faith, I think we'll find that at least some part of our faith is connected to one of those three categories. Unless your faith is perfect, then this message is not for you. (laughs) But when I examine my heart, and when I look at my faith, the moments that it's weak, and the moments that it drifts away from God, it drifts towards being conditional. Uh, The moment that I experience a setback in life, and I can't fix it, any fixers in the house? Oh, I thought I'd have more. Okay, maybe it's just you and I. There we go. But the moment that I can't fix it, if I'm honest with you, my trust dips and my faith drifts away from God. If you're honest with yourself this morning and you look at your faith, the moments when it's weak, where does your faith drift to? Hang on to that. We're going to come back to it. And listen... My goal in bringing all of this up is not to step on your toes, but it's my heart that as, and listen, we've all experienced setbacks, right? It's, it's a guarantee in life. My heart for you is that God's best for you, and that in your moments of setback, in your moments of trial, you might truly and genuinely be able to say, I am glad, and you might truly experience joy in the midst of your trial, and here's what I know An inherited faith, it's not gonna get you there. A shallow faith, it's not gonna get you there. A conditional faith is not going to get you there, but a genuine faith will. Because here's why. Because with genuine faith, we have a deep trust that God has our best interest in mind regardless of what we see in front of us or around us. Listen, you may have setbacks all around you, but with genuine faith, you have a deep and abiding trust that God is not out to get you, but that He's using all of these things in your life for your good and for His glory. So let's talk about this morning how we build genuine faith. Here's the first thing you need to know number one, genuine faith is built through trials, it's built through trials, it doesn't happen overnight. It takes time and it's built through trials. Again, Peter says in verse six, he says, even though you must endure many trials for a little while, pay attention to that language there. How long are you going to endure trials? A little while, meaning there is going to come a time when God is going to serve your trial in eviction notice. But Peter says, I need you to know that in the trial, I need you to know that there is great purpose. And what's that purpose? It's verse 7. He says, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. Genuine faith is built through trials because the only way to build trust is to be given an opportunity to trust. The only way to build trust is to be given an opportunity to trust. That's why moms and dads, when you leave your teenager at home for the very first time without a babysitter, mom says, can we trust him? Dad says, I don't know, we're about to find out. Right? Because trust is built when we're given an opportunity to trust and hear me. That's why God brings you and I through trials, because in the trial, in the difficulty, he's asking, Will you trust me? Will you trust me? And listen, perhaps no one knows this better than Peter, who wrote the letter. Right? Like we mentioned, uh, Peter is part of Jesus' inner circle. And so Peter was with Jesus at their very last dinner. And at dinner, Jesus is telling his disciples how very soon he's about to suffer. Very soon he's about to be handed over to be crucified so that God's plan of redemption may continue. What does Peter do? He stands up and he says, Jesus, I will suffer with you. I'll go to prison with you. I'll even die with you. Jesus says, Peter, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And for those of you who have read the story, you know what happens next. Jesus gets arrested. They take him off to the high priest's house where he's falsely accused. Peter is standing there at a distance. And the people in that scene, they recognize Peter like, hey, you're one of his disciples. You were with him. He's like, no, 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 that's not me. I, don't, I have no idea who this man is. And on the third denial, the text says that Peter and Jesus lock eyes. And Peter remembers what Jesus said to him. And it says that Peter runs out and he weeps bitterly. Fast forward just a few chapters into the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost. The disciples with Peter are gathered in the upper room. The Holy Spirit descends into that room, fills the disciples. They begin to speak in other tongues. There's a lot of people outside who are asking, what in the world is happening? And so the disciples, they go outside and guess who stands up to deliver the message? Peter. Peter. He stands up. He delivers this message, a message a lot shorter than this one. And as a result of that, the text says that over 3,000 people give their lives to Jesus. Question, how do you go from denying Jesus three times to standing up in front of thousands of people to publicly declare the message of Jesus? How do you do that? Here's how. God gave Peter an opportunity to trust that he wouldn't use his mistakes against him, even though he failed, not once, not twice, but three times. It was an opportunity for Peter to trust that God desired to restore his spirit, to give him confidence and to give him boldness. For Peter, it was a trial and it was an opportunity to trust. Now, in that moment, it's kind of a happy ending for Peter, isn't it? I mean, he preaches and over 3,000 people say yes to Jesus. I would call that a good day. (laughs) It's a happy ending for him. But I pray that we're a community encounter where we don't just fast forward to the happy ending. Because here's the second thing you need to know about genuine faith. Genuine faith keeps it real. Genuine faith keeps it real. Another translation says, again in verse 6, It says, though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. So before Peter brings up the awareness that there's good that can happen throughout trials, he takes a moment and he pauses and says, listen, you're suffering. You're grieving. Your cousins are being used as candles. I see you. God sees you and my fear in Christian circles is that oftentimes we use things like the Bible, God and theology to sidestep our pain to get to the happy ending where we know that Jesus makes all things right can't just put a theological band-aid on some stuff listen, you've probably experienced this, you're at a funeral for someone that you love and someone comes up to you and says man don't you know God uses all things to work for good for those who love him and called, are called according to his purpose. Or, or don't you know that this is God's will? Yeah, I, I believe those things. But I also believe I want to punch you right now. Because that doesn't help me. Can't just put a theological band-aid over my pain. It hurts. It's hard. In fact, watch what Jesus does. Think about this the next time that you go to a funeral. In John chapter 11, Jesus visits with Mary and Martha, his friends, because uh, their brother Lazarus has just died. Jesus shows up to the scene four days later, and Martha comes out to greet Jesus. This is what Martha says. She says, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. What's Martha doing? She's using her theology to make sense of the situation that she's in right now. And Jesus goes along with the conversation for just a moment. But eventually he says, Martha, put your theology away. You've just lost your brother. Come, show me where you've laid him. Let's sit and cry together. You see, could Jesus have answered all of her questions to pain and suffering and grief? Yeah, he could have. Did he? No. Instead, Jesus uses that moment and he sits with his dear friends as they mourn the loss of their brother. You see, genuine faith, it doesn't minimize pain and suffering. It sits in the pain and suffering as it recognizes the realness and closeness of God. Genuine faith does not use theological band-aids. Genuine faith keeps it real. And this picture of Mary and Martha in Jesus, in this community that is formed, it brings us to the third thing that we need to know about genuine faith. Number three, if you're taking notes, genuine faith is anchored in community. It's anchored in community. Uh, we talk a lot about this in church circles, uh, but instead of me talking about it this morning, I wanna show you how this can work and the good that can come from this. A few weeks ago, Encounter received an incredible gift in the baptism story of one of our youth students, Pratia. And I wanna read a section of his testimony this morning, and I want you to see how community is woven throughout his story. Here's what Pratia writes. He says, my relationship with Jesus started when I was young. I saw my parents' faith and wanted it to be mine. Or excuse me, I saw my parents' faith and I wanted it to be like theirs. However, I drift away from the path that God wanted me to take It was the pandemic that especially caused me to stray away. I would put less efforts into connecting with Jesus or reading the Bible, and church seemed like a hassle. Then my parents sent me to NTS summer camp, and I was changed. While at NTS, I saw other students professing their faith, but more importantly, I felt the presence of God fill the gaps in my life where I had left him. It was hard for me but I tried having my own relationship with Jesus. Yet it was only this year at NTS when I was reflecting that I thought I wanted to commit my life to Jesus. I don't wanna have my parents' faith. I wanted it to be my own, my own walk with Jesus. What did you hear in that testimony? Mom and dad modeled faith before him. And he said, I want that. Way to go, mom and dad, right? Way to go. But what knocked him off course? The pandemic. What did we all experience in the pandemic? Isolation. But what brought him back to faith? Ultimately, the Holy Spirit. But how did the Holy Spirit do it? He says, NTS camp. What do we experience at NTS camp? Community. And while at camp, he saw other students professing their faith in Jesus, and it encouraged him in his faith. And Pratia doesn't mention this in his testimony, but because I was behind the scenes, I got to see all of this take place, is that in this season of life for Pratia, he had two amazing middle school leaders and Will Vanderwall and Carter Fabry, and they were in his corner encouraging him and loving him, and as a result of all of those things, Pratia says, today is the day. If this is the line and this is inherited faith, my parents have got me to this point, but today I'm crossing the line. I'm stepping over into genuine faith faith this is my relationship with Jesus I think to this moment is appropriate to praise God just one more time for the testimony of Pratya. Amen? Amen. amen amen and if that testimony is a result for him that can happen for you and I as well you see genuine faith will never grow in isolation it will never grow in isolation genuine faith is anchored in community And so if you're in the room here or Fulton Heights and you're like, man, I I really need to find community. What Robin uh, shared in announcements and announcements at Fulton Heights, we've got Rooted, a discipleship group that's kicking off here in the fall. Listen, do yourself a favor. Visit the starting point desk and sign up. Community might just change your life. Might just change your life. Genuine faith will never grow in isolation. Genuine faith must be anchored in community. So, I don't know what setback you might be experiencing this morning. I don't know what trial you might be walking through. But here's what I do know that in that season of your life when you're asking, How do I get through this? an inherited faith is not your answer. It's a borrowed faith, it's too weak. A shallow faith is not your answer. There's no root it's gonna be choked out by the worries of life. A conditional faith is not your answer, why? I've lived long enough to know that life doesn't go your way all the time. And if your faith is built on the fact of you getting what you want, when you want, and how you want it, it's not gonna take long for that kind of faith to crumble under the reality of life. Those kinds of faith are not going to get you there. But what Peter says to the Christians in the first century who are going through pressure, and he says to you and I today, he says, you want to know what's going to get you through? You want to know what's going to get you through the trials, the stress, the difficulty of life. It's not the false faith. It's genuine faith. Genuine faith is going to get you through. And, and Connor, I need you to catch this this morning. Genuine faith. It's, it's not the faith in it of itself that gets us through, but instead it's where the faith brings us. Or better yet, it's who the faith points us to, to Jesus to the one who was crucified, to the one who was raised from the dead, to the one who is seated at the right hand of the Father. In the trials that you and I walk through this morning, it's simply an opportunity to trust him, to trust that he has our best interest in mind, to trust that he can redeem our mistakes, to trust that he can draw near in our time of need. Listen, following Jesus is the best thing that you could ever do with your life. Why? Because he gives you joy even in the midst of of your trial and not just regular old joy. Catch that. It's not just regular old joy. Listen what he says in verse 8 finally. He says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with what? Everybody say that with me. Inexpressible and glorious joy. Peter says, Even in the midst of your Greatest setback and difficulty you can experience inexpressible and glorious joy that's not normal I don't know about you I'm done with normal give me Jesus and that inexpressible joy is what we experienced in Port-au-Prince at 4 a.m. Because at 4 a.m., I was fast asleep. I had missed the bus. No, I'm just playing. (laughs) I was sleeping, though. And I don't know about you, but I have a lot of joy when I sleep. Uh, Shortly after we came up with our bulletproof plan of heading to the airport at 4 a.m., we made contact with our church back home. And uh, we had some wise church leaders. Because before we left, they took out an insurance policy on us and as we were talking with our missions pastor he said let me let me investigate this insurance policy and see if it can help so he did he called us back and he said hey listen i've got some good news because the u.s embassy in haiti has just l- issued it a level four emergency the uh, the insurance policy is going to pay for mercenaries to come and pick you guys up and so listen let me let me get on the phone and call some mercenaries to come and pick you guys up i'll call you back I was like, do you just have mercenaries like on speed dial? Who is this guy? Like, have you had to do this before? This was not part of the pre-planning meeting. That information would have been helpful, man. (laughs) True story, I ain't making it up. He calls back. He's like, hey, I got good news. Found some mercenaries. They're gonna be there tomorrow at 8 a.m., don't be late. Hang up the phone, I'm like, guys, We're going to go viral on Instagram here. Make sure your phone is charged. Like I'm picturing there's a helicopter, there's ropes coming down. We're going to have to pop smoke to tell them which roof to land on. I've seen way too many movies. We go to sleep. We get up. It's 8 a.m. We're in the courtyard. And two vans pull up. And the guys who get out, they are ex-militia for sure. They are fit. They are in charge. They're like, people in this van, luggage in this van. We've got no time to waste. Let's go. I'm like, yes, sir. Here we go. So we hop in the van, and honestly, we cruise to the airport with no problem. We get on a flight, and we head home. It's not as dramatic of a finish as the buildup, but at least we made it home, right? (laughs) What did we experience in those moments? What did our families experience? A trial. It was an opportunity to trust God. To trust that God had our best interest in mind. To trust that whatever happened, he was gonna use that situation for our good and for his glory. What did we experience? Inexpressible and glorious joy. And Peter wants us to know this morning that whatever trial we're going through, that can be available for us when we step into genuine faith. A faith that's focused not on our ability to get it right, not on our ability to come to church consistently, although those are good things. But His desire to protect us, to keep us close to Him. At both locations, we do me a favor, will you stand with me as we get ready to close this morning? Earlier, we were talking about three different types of false faith. And again, like I said earlier, I think if we're honest this morning and if we examine our hearts and if we examine our faith, I think we'll see at least some part of our faith when it's weak, when it drifts away from God, it's connected to one of those three categories. We can be honest here. So here's what I wanna do. I wanna, I wanna simply just name those false faiths and you're here and you say, yep, That's where I drift to. I want you to just simply raise your hand and keep your hand raised. And at the end, we're gonna pray that God in his grace and his mercy would call us out of those things and into genuine faith that will allow us to endure. So to have a moment with just us and God, do me a favor, go ahead and close your eyes and bow your heads. Fulton Heights as well. It's a moment with you and God. You're here this morning, you say, Kyle, when I examine my faith when it's weak, It drifts toward being an inherited faith. If that's you, go ahead and slip up your hand. Sometimes it's inherited. Keep your hand raised. It's good. This morning you would say, Kyle, when my faith is weak, when it drifts away from God, it's because my faith is shallow. If I'm honest, there's there's not a lot of roots there. Yeah. Keep your hand raised. It's okay. And finally... If your faith is like mine, sometimes when it gets weak, it leans toward being a conditional faith. And that's where I'm going to raise my hand. Jesus, you see all of these hands that are raised, including my own. So God, we pray today that in your love and your grace and your mercy, would you call us out of those things? Would you call us out of an inherited faith? Would you call us out of a shallow faith? Would you call us out of a conditional faith? And would you call us into a conditional faith where we have a deep and abiding trust in Jesus that he's working all things for our good, that he's not out to get us, that he is for us each and every single day, regardless of what we see around us. So, Jesus, this morning for us who have our hands raised, would you call us into genuine faith so that in trials, in setbacks, in difficulties, we might experience your perfect peace. We might be able to be glad. And we might find true, inexpressible, and glorious joy. And, God, may you get the glory for it all. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.